0: We will focus on all aspects of the perinatal period with special attention to reducing our maternal mortality rate. This podcast is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Welcome back to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee. I'm your host, Amanda Nally. We wanted to pause and take a moment out of our normal rhythm to focus on Black History Month. February is a time in our nation where we celebrate black history, black voices and black stories. Within our own organization, we are actively working to reduce the maternal mortality rate in Tennessee and especially concerned that black women are three times more likely to die from pregnancy related complications in our state. I sat down recently with three incredible black female leaders in the maternal care community here in Nashville to discuss the complicated history of black birth in America. We discuss the importance of continuity of care and how, through a multi layered approach, we can start to turn the tide in this healthcare crisis right here at home. I invite you into this intimate discussion. Welcome, everyone. We are so excited to sit down tonight and talk about birthing in the Black community. So, I have three fabulous ladies here with me tonight. So tonight I have Dr. Rolanda Lister, Dr. Stephanie Devane-Johnson, and Kristen Mejia. We're going to just have an open conversation about the history of birth in the Black community and all the different roles. So birth is really a layered experience. There's definitely different providers that interact in different moments of birth. So we have three different providers of these phases of birth, if you will. Um, so why don't we just go one by one and you introduce yourself and tell us kind of what role you play in the birth experience. Dr. Lister, why don't we start with you?
1: Okay. Like you mentioned earlier, I am Dr. Lister. I'm a maternal fetal medicine specialist, and I basically focus on pregnancies that are complicated with some kind of high-risk issue. They can either be a a maternal issue or a fetal issue. And so we pretty much coordinate the pregnancy, the antipartum care, and have recommendations as a consultant primarily for mode of delivery, timing of delivery, and what kind of other care needs to be involved in order to care for the high-risk pregnancy.
0: Awesome. Dr. Devane Johnson, what about you?
2: Yes. Hi, I'm Dr. Stephanie Devane Johnson, and I am an expert in normal. So as a nurse midwife, midwifery, and the word midwife means with woman. And nurse midwives are trained in the normal to detect the abnormal, so that when you detect the abnormal, then I can send my patients to Dr. Lister. And so we work in tandem, and we have a very Good song and dance going on as far as collaboration and um, working together to best take care of our patients. But again, I've been a nurse midwife for 20 years and have delivered thousands of babies and sometimes pregnancy and birth takes a trajectory of its own that sometimes cannot be predicted. And when you have a qualified, certified nurse midwife or professional midwife, they can pick that up and can refer and collaborate as needed.
0: Thank you. Kristen, what about you? What role do you play?
2: Hello everyone.
3: I am Kristen Mejia Green, and I am the founder of Homeland Heart Birth and Wellness Collective in Nashville, Tennessee. And we are a collective that houses Nashville's first volunteer doula program for families of color. I am a birth doula, postpartum doula, certified lactation counselor, and placenta encapsulation specialist. I have recently become a doula trainer. So we house a community-based doula training program at Homeland Heart, where myself and a few other staff members are the trainers. And we are just working to try and mitigate the maternal and infant mortality disparities that we're seeing here in Nashville.
0: Thank you. So... The history of Black birth has been very complicated. How does that inform our decisions today? We're seeing a lot of disparities in the Black community still. How has that history impacted where we are today?
2: I would love to start being the nurse midwife and with midwifery having its roots far before midwifery became what nurse midwifery is today. And so there's documentation and art and transcripts of speaking of midwives way before even biblical times. And there are midwives, two midwives that are spoken of in the Bible, Zipporah and Puna who were midwives and delivered during that time. But we also to the grand And I say that G-R-A-N-D, midwives, which some people call granny midwives, which were the gatekeepers in the African-American community and black community when there was segregation and blacks couldn't go to the hospitals. And so the grand midwives delivered, took care of, stayed over, helped take care of the other kids when the Black women at that time were not afforded that opportunity to go to the hospital. And then when birth became medicalized and were started being pushed out of the home to the hospital, the grand midwives were basically pushed out and were not given the credentials that they needed or the certifications and were not allowed to continue to do what was basically their birthright. And as far as taking care of the women in their community and delivering and issuing in safe passage for the moms and the babies. And so now we have all these health disparities, especially in the maternal child world, where we're like, okay, what is going to be doing? And there's we can talk about structural racism, um, systemic racism, things of that nature. But we need to, as a community, get more midwives, doulas, doctors, maternal fetal medicine of color, because we have a different unique lived experience that only we understand and can speak to.
1: I was going to ask you as you were talking and talking about like the medicalization of birthing, how that kind of pushed the original midwives out. And I guess I'm wondering, do you think that was by design or do you think that? Oh, it's totally
2: by design. It's written that they thought that the grand granny, the Black midwives were ignorant, not educated, dirty, and that they didn't deserve to be delivering babies at the hospital. And so they usher in these white midwives and, and there's quote unquote training and they're supposed to be experts and this, that, and the other thing. So I do... To answer your question, I do think it was by design. It was what we call now restrain a trade. And it was to single-handedly marginalize a profession that had great statistics. Most of the grand midwives in those southern states, Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina, never lost a mama. And not much is, childbirth has been childbirth forever. So what has changed? And I think it is that there are not enough providers of color taking care of patients, and patients are not being listened to by the providers that they do have, which statistically their providers don't look like them.
1: What 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 do you think, Kristen? Because I know that I think the name of your organization is really telling. You know, Homeland Heart, and it gives a nod back to
3: motherland <laughs> yes um. it's, so it is and that is very intentional that is by design I came so I have two children myself and I love that we're having this conversation because coming from the client or patient side I've had a hospital birth and a home birth so I've been cared for by both an OBGYN and a certified nurse midwife. And I have both of those experiences. And oftentimes when I'm talking to people, i lead with, I didn't have a home birth because I had a bad hospital birth. I had a home birth because I realized that was an opportunity that I had. And so I wanted to do it. But my hospital birth was great because of the relationship that I was able to have with my OBGYN. But I think that When I was having my kids or when I had my first and was dealing with postpartum depression and so many people are around you and you're pregnant and then those people start fading away, but then we're always hearing this same thing echoing and it is, it takes a village, right? It takes a village. It takes a village. And so back to what Dr. Stephanie was saying, where these midwives, these grand midwives, these Alabama midwives never lost a mama. They never lost a baby. And so what is being done differently? What happened? There was a time when we were birthing as villages. There was a time when we were going through postpartum as villages. There was a time when we were actually doing these things as villages and we were surviving. Mm. So we have got to get back there some kind of way. And I understand, and I think we can all say that we understand that this is going to take an an unimaginable shift in everything. Put our health back in our hands and back into our villages. We might have a chance. (laughs) We just might have a chance. now this doesn't exclude the OBGYN. This doesn't exclude the hospital. This then tells us how important continuity of care is. As a doula, it's so important for me to be able to say, hey, Dr. Lister doesn't mean you any harm. Okay. This is what's happening.
1: Why do you think that is Like, why is that something that you would even have to say? That we have to do, right. Yeah, that that, the hospital does not mean you any harm, you know? The hospital doesn't mean you harm, right? Yeah.
3: This is something that is ingrained upon us. We only go to the hospital if it's an emergency. So if I find myself at the hospital, this something must be wrong. Mm. You must be getting ready to tell me that I'm going to die or my baby's going to die or Mm. because why else would I be here?
0: Yeah, so it sounds like there's just a lot of mistrust, and rightfully so. There's been a long history of harm. And so, Mm -hmm. how do we cohesively, in each stage of birth, build trust? Mm -hmm. And how do we work together cohesively to bring back trust and to care for these mamas?
3: So, I'm going to say that's a big big question. (laughs) Yeah, that is is a big 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 question. However, it's also one of my favorites. So Uh I do a lot of advocating between the community and hospitals here in Nashville. And so it is a question that I get asked a lot. Like, so what can we do? You're like, you're telling us that our hospital's trash. What can we do to make it non-trash? And I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) This don't be trash, right? So I've had a lot of practice with this question. Right. And this is going to seem like a very simple question, but... Number one, step one is acknowledgement. You can't move anywhere if everyone on your team doesn't acknowledge that there's a racial or systemic problem in your hospital. Everybody's gotta be on the same page or else it's not gonna work, right? That's very important to know is that everybody's gotta be on the same page or this isn't gonna work.
1: I do agree that acknowledgement is definitely the first step but at some point people are gonna wanna know, well, what kind of actionable things mm-hmm. can I do after mm-hmm. that? After I acknowledge it, after I real after we go over the, the numbers that don't lie and confirm and reaffirm what we know. Okay. What's the next what's the next thing? And I guess that's my question is you had mentioned about, and I think that's it's actually really key, that in the Black community, the history of Burr began as a village. And one of the things that you had mentioned in your intro in terms of like how Homeland Heart even came into being and what inspired it was really wanting to restore that sense of village again, like bringing the village back to birth that had been taken out of the village and medicalized, hospitalized, et cetera. And now that it seems like like as a clinician, the hospital for me is kind of like, that's where the magic happens. That's where the resources are. That's where like, I can, that's where this, the staffing is. And that's where Mm -hmm. I can see, I feel more comfortable. Like this is something I can do something for this patient with the kind of the bells and whistles and the resources that I have. But what's missing in my opinion is that sense of village. So it's like, there's resources, there's training, there is staffing, there's education, but none of that means anything if you don't have the buy-in from the patient that you are trying Mm -hmm. to care for. So how do you bring those entities together under one roof, under one ethos? I think a lot of it has to do with Black mothers or minority mothers not feeling listened to, not feeling like they have that village, not feeling like they have the advocate. So is it possible to bring those two worlds under the same roof where hospitals are are providing that village or the village feels welcome in a hospital
3: setting?
2: We need more midwives. Mm-hmm. We need more.
3: I think we need more respect. Respect to the point of understanding that i mean and this goes back to then the civil rights movement like yes i am a black person yes i can read yes i can write yes Thank i you. made it through medical school that and i'm sure you ladies have that experience yes i made sure. it through medical school my mom just retired from emergency medicine She spent some time working in Kentucky and has had plenty of experiences where she's had to actually tell somebody, no, I'm the doctor. Like (laughs) we're still trying to like push our way to get our chair at the table Mm -hmm. still. And so if, if Dr. Lister and all of her beautiful credentials and research is still pushing so hard, to get this idea of, hey, Black women are having a hard time here. Mm-hmm. What more is there that we can do besides take it all back? Mm-hmm. <laughs> besides mm-hmm. reclaim it all, right? Where I come in as a community health worker, as a doula, is the person to fill that gap mm-hmm. in in the continuity of care where when you get pregnant, it starts out, you're seeing your doctor once a month, then it's twice a month, then it's three times a month. But these things are slow going. You know, when you're pregnant, you've never been so excited to see the doctor. You've never been so excited to hear what's going on with yourself. And then to find out that you only get to hear about that once a month is frightening. A lot, And I would say if you're a first-time mom, but I've been a first-time mom twice, (laughs) and it was frightening both times to not know what's going on in between. But when you have a doula, not only are we in the labor and delivery room to empower you to advocate for yourself, but we're there doing the entire prenatal journey to say, hey, don't worry. It's okay that your doctor only wants to see you every four weeks, or it's okay that your midwife suggested a telehealth visit. You're healthy. Mm -hmm. But what about my doula? My doula can come over and she knows how to listen to my baby or she knows how to do this. Is it okay if she reports to you? She can get to me. Is that okay if she reports to you? Dr. Lister and I have talked about this type of continuity of care lots and lots of times that there are ways that we can respect the village approach.
0: I feel like it's almost an economic issue as well. Getting the payers to add in some of these layers of safety and protection and just check-ins, I think that's going to be really key too. So how do we convince the payers that it's worth it?
1: I think in order for payers to get on board, they have to see a through line between the implementation the care of doulas and that, that being shown to reduce maternal mortality, Mm -hmm. you know, and morbidity. I think right now we think that, we think that the problem, the root problem, the root cause is black women are not being listened to. They're being discriminated against. There's, there's racism, both systemic and personal Mm -hmm. that's being disproportionately affecting women of color And we believe if they have more advocates, more kind of checks and balances, more layers, automating some of the best practices, there's a presumption that that, you know, will help. But I think Mm -hmm. that those studies need to be done, you
3: know. So we want to believe that putting a free doula in the room with a woman is going to maybe mitigate some of these factors. What we do know with the way our program works is that we are pushing prenatal education. We, we push nutrition. We're talking about diet. Um, we're mm-hmm. talking about what's happening in the postpartum period. Had you even thought about getting a pediatrician? Is your baby going to go to daycare? Doulas have always been a part of the village birthing system.
1: I was going to say, I think you hit it on the head. It's even when women have advocates that they trust, it's not just about having another body in the room that can speak on behalf of the patient who has not been listened to you have this person that loves you that's going to be there longer way longer than i'm going to be once i leave the room or sign the orders or do whatever procedure like this is a person
2: i love doulas i absolutely love doulas yeah in prenatal care i love doulas at delivery because what a lot of people, especially, or a lot of, some of us don't necessarily realize, and sometimes my privilege sometimes shows, mm-hmm. the healthcare environment just in itself is very intimidating. Mm-hmm. If, if you don't have the the words to potentially advocate for yourself, that's where mm-hmm. you know can kind of bridge that gap. Yeah, but yeah. I also want to put in Kristen. Use respect, but I want to use partnership. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Not to partner with the patient as uh-huh. their provider, and the doula is a part of it, so that the patient, the doula, everybody is on the same page, and that they feel as though they are a valid, listened to participant in their own healthcare decision making, uh-huh. uh-huh. and. Sometimes we as physicians and nurse midwives and nurses, we start talking up here and start yeah. talking lingo that patients don't understand mm-hmm. and we don't do it maliciously. That's just our lingo. And then yeah. the doula, once we step out, they'll be like, okay, let me tell you what they tried to say. Right. <laughs> okay. sit <laughs> down to you like this. And yeah. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. I appreciate them having my back and be like, oh, I'm sorry. Yes, I'm using all this language that you potentially do not understand. Mm -hmm. But but everybody to ego and feelings aside to partner Mm -hmm. with each other to best take care of the patient, to have better health outcomes from black mamas and black babies. I think that's
1: like, we kind of been talking about before. There's so many layers. I think that's one element, provider trust, mitigating provider bias, but it's in this large cosm of systemic injustices that affect, housing policy that affect criminal justice, that affect education. And, and I think that if we're really going to make any kind of inroads, it's gonna require an all hands on deck in various sectors. And it doesn't start, it didn't start at the hospital and it can't end there. Education and income and joblessness and criminal justice is all a part of the issue. Not that's what we're talking about tonight, but but I wanted to to,
0: to mention that yeah it sounds like we could talk all night <laughs> yeah <laughs> so much. Yeah. Um, yeah. so yeah. I just want to turn a little bit and ask the question so who do you admire doing this work there's got to be more than just the three of you <laughs> that yeah. are fighting for these equities and, and to help turn the ship if you will yeah. so who's doing some good work that we can follow or check out or listen to i
2: stand in solidarity and appreciate all the my ancestors and midwives grand midwives granny midwives who came before me but in but jenny joseph is a a black midwife who's british trained in florida and um she has coined her own it's called the jj way and she has a accredited, certified professional midwifery program called Common Sense Midwifery. And she's just phenomenal. There's Shafia Monroe, who's really big in the Black breastfeeding birth world. And there, there's, there's so many, but those were the two that stood out in my head who I admire that are boots on the ground in the trenches.
1: There's so many people I admire the women that are on this call, Stephanie and Kristen, have really have demonstrated a, a strong commitment to this work. They're very versed in the historical perspectives that have brought us here, and they're trying to do something about it. I also admire Miss um, Dr. Joya Perry, who's the founder of the National Birth Equity Collaborative I think she has been a national and probably at this point, international thought leader, bringing some of the crucial conversation points to the forefront that it's not about race as a biological, you know, there's nothing pathological about being black. It's really the, the, the systemic and structural racism that, that makes being black, but that, That brings a lot of the risk to pregnancy for Black and brown people. So I admire her boldness with bringing some of the hard-to-hear truths to the national conversation.
3: I would say that I admire Dr. Milan Smith-Francis. She is a local certified nurse midwife and actually the one that brought my tiniest one here into the world at home and i'm gonna say that that was the moment i realized what i was here for and so i am currently an apprenticing home birth midwife And with that, I would say that I also admire Heather Munoz of um, Nova Birth Services. She is my precepting midwife, and I would say she took a leap of faith on, on me because I have no prior medical training, and she reached out to the collective to ask if there was anyone that would be interested in apprenticing as a home birth midwife, and I jumped at the chance and I've been studying under her for about a year now and really appreciate the opportunity to be able to practice or learn to practice in such a traditional setting. As Dr. Lister mentioned earlier, with Homeland Heart being named the way that it is and the logo that we use is it's half heart, half Africa. And now it just really I'm so happy to have the opportunity to really like walk in the footsteps of my ancestors and do it like just with my hands and a pot of water.
0: Thank you for sharing those those names and references. We can link our, our folks to those people so they can start learning from them as well. So, where do we go from here? How do we move forward? I think
1: for me, it's a we've documented the problem. I think we, recognize at least I recognize it didn't take it wasn't something that happened overnight so it's going to require time but I don't think we should have patience I don't think that we should slow down the, the urgency and the need to make a difference but I think we do need to be systematic and implement the things that we can so like our sphere right now as I see it and from interfacing with Kristen and Stephanie on a fairly regular basis, I think it's important to build those bridges and bring the village to the medical establishment in a collegial way. So that, in my opinion, is one of the steps that I'm hoping that we can take is is really building the bridge between the, institution in the community.
2: I agree. More community engagement with these, you know, the community stakeholders in the community and hearing the real lived experiences of what's going on mm-hmm. and it potentially in the hospital and using that to ignite change. And like you said, Dr. List, it's not going to happen overnight, but it it needs to happen. And Faster rather than slower would be my hopes and dreams because I don't want any any more moms or babies, regardless of race or ethnicity, to die needlessly. And a lot of these deaths could have been prevented.
3: In my dreams, doulas are far more easily accessible and we don't carry this weight of... I'm gonna say we don't carry the weight of advocacy, right? That's heavy. It's a heavy thing to walk into somebody's birth experience and feel like I have to have a guard up just in case. In my dreams, the birth experience is a beautiful birth experience for everyone involved, regardless of color, obviously, I have a dream what i see with regard to access to doula care are doulas that are housed in the hospital like if every other method of pain management is in the hospital and we know that doulas are a successful method of pain management in the hospital why aren't hospitals more hospitals contracting with doula agencies or community-based doula agencies that can provide these services at even if it's at a reduced rate, although Black women don't deserve to be working at a reduced rate—that's another podcast for another day. Um, but <laughs> you know, there if the money is there for everything else, I mean, <clears throat> I live by the philosophy that I know the money's out there. I want to put this on people's minds when it's time for us to publicly have this conversation or even vote for it. Safe and secured birth experiences for Black, Indigenous, people of color and marginalized communities are a form of reparations. It is a form of reparations to possibly provide black women with free doula care via insurance via whatever again which is why our organization fundraises and uses grants and different things like that because i'm happy to support another woman in labor but i don't think that i should have to do that for free but i also don't think that she should have to pay me because you want to know what it's not her fault that her life is in danger She's just trying to have a baby after all, right? She didn't put herself into this whole dangerous mess. And so consider, right? A lot of times when we're talking about the conversation of reparations, we're always thinking money, right? Oh, how big is the check going to be? How about you secure my family for a couple of generations by letting me know that I'm going to be able to survive childbirth and my child will see his or her first birthday, there's a reparation for you. So that's just my uh, two cents on that conversation when it comes around, because I believe it may be coming around soon.
0: Thank you for taking your time out of your evenings and away from your babies and your families to have this conversation. And I hope it makes a difference. Thank you all so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby, Tennessee, presented by TipQC. TipQC is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby, Tennessee is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Do you have ideas for a future guest or topic or even have a question you would like answered on upcoming episodes? Visit www.tipqc.org. That's TIPQC.org and click on podcast to submit suggestions and questions to our podcast team. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast to be the first to know when new episodes are available and find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and YouTube to stay in the loop with our active projects and other relevant news relating to perinatal health in Tennessee.